we're in the book of Romans. Book of Romans chapter 3. We'll be starting in verse 9. All right. As you're, as you're settling in, I got to do uh, a bucket list thing this week. It was one of, it's always been my dream to, to climb a tree. My grandfather was a logger. He went up and topped trees until he was 80 years old. And um, I wish I could have had him there with me this week. I went by, and as you probably saw, the church property is getting completely cleared, thanks to Jess and uh, his crew have cleared off a whole bunch of all the brush virtually. And, um, and so that's fun to kind of get that underway. We've got a, a video of that process that is going to be shown probably next week, we hope. But it's kind of fun to see movement over there on the property. And um, it's fun to, to climb a tree. It's fun to sit in an excavator. I just feel like a man after doing stuff like that. So <laughs> although that tree climb was on, I think it was on Tuesday, and I, I, I'm still sore. Like, you wouldn't think it's that tough, but you guys who climb trees for a living, that's tough work. They make it look easy, but anyhow, uh, good, good stuff, good stuff. So, um, all right, I think that's it. Let's pray, and then we'll just jump right into Romans 3. Father, I thank you for, again, just for this time together, and Lord, we know that just being able to gather as your church is a gift, and it's a gift that a lot of believers around our world don't get the opportunity to do without the threat of imprisonment or even torture or death, and so we don't take it lightly, and Lord, we also recognize and profess that this is not for any of um, our own, our own uh, merit, but it's all for yours. It's for your glory that we seek, and um, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of the revelation of your word to us. We thank you for the Bible, and uh, we confess that it is by the truth that is therein that we, um, we are transformed and we're changed, so Lord, give us teachable, soft hearts to your word this morning. And we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, Dr. Bob reminded us that good news is not very good if you don't understand what the bad news is. And so with that in mind, the bad news, what is the bad news? The bad news is that all of humanity, past, present, future, all of humanity is plagued with the very same sickness. That sickness is sin. It's, it's a sinful heart. That's, that's the bad news. And, and so if we don't understand the bad news, it's really difficult to understand when we talk about what's the good news. That's one of the focuses every single week when we meet, to, to share and to rejoice in the good news of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And so in order to do that, we need to understand the bad news. Dr. Bob talked about that in verses 1 through 8, the, the, the bad news. And he pointed out that what Paul is doing as he's writing to this audience is he's, he's approaching it like a lawyer would approach a case. He studies both sides of the argument, and he learns the other sides, um, their, their, their tactics, their excuses, their case, and if he knows their case so well, when they bring up questions, he's able to rebut those questions, answer those questions in a, in a, in a biblical kind of way. And, and so verses 1 through 8 kind of laid out this question-answer kind of time. And now we come into verse 9, and, and Paul is basically going about this and saying, if, if they didn't understand, or actually one of the, one of the new rebuttals that <clears throat> they're facing is, is that um, these people are thinking this is something new. This teaching that Paul is bringing, oh, it's just the, this, it's this new fad, or this is a new teaching which isn't found in the scriptures. And so Paul, what he does, he jumps in verses 9 and following, and he quotes 
a whole bunch of Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament that they have studied, in many cases the Old Testament which they have memorized, and he quotes their own scriptures to prove that this teaching that he's going to share with them isn't a new teaching, it's actually one that they have just not heard. And for us, I think it's really important to note too, we can get so familiar with a message, or we can get so familiar even with a verse, maybe a verse that we've memorized as a kid, that we can lose sight of the depth of meaning or that verse itself doesn't impact us the way that it might otherwise if it was read with soft heart and fresh eyes. Because for these people that knew the Bible up until that point, they weren't reading it with with teachable fresh hearts as if the the words that they were reading were living and active. They were reading it as if it was something that they knew and conquered and could then use it as a weapon virtually against other people. And so Paul Paul is going to point this out to him. So you can follow along as, as as I read here. Verse 9, it says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. This is where he starts quoting. When, if you've got your Bible open, verses 10 through 18. These are all quotes from the Old Testament in some different spots. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law is, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every other mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be upheld, must be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight, in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So we'll stop there with our reading and jump in. Let's look here. Let's look here and just break down some of these verses. The first one here is, there is no one righteous, no, not one. Now, this idea of righteousness, this is talking about legal standing. And so what Paul is saying is that no one, no one, church-going folk or not, no one is righteous, has right standing before God in themselves. No one does. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, as we'll see next week. Um, so basically, he's saying when everything is known about a person, it doesn't matter if they're Abraham, they're Jacob, it doesn't matter if it's your grandma, Billy Graham, a Mother Teresa, Moses, whoever, the, the best person you can think of, it doesn't matter. No one has right standing before God. No one is righteous, no, not one. And then he goes to verse 11, moving along. No one understands. No one understands. The idea here is this, that because of the the, the curse of sin on a person's heart and mind, um, they are unable to understand the things that God has. And so we saw this pointed out in chapter one where our self-centered hearts are are wrapped up in this inability to perceive who who God is. So um, this is something, and I don't know if you've ever seen people like this, they're so narrow-minded They're so bigoted towards a group of people. It doesn't matter. It does not matter how 
uh, if someone from that group of people that they're bigoted against comes along and does something that shows the opposite of what their bigotry is representing, it doesn't matter. They cannot see beyond the, the bigotry or the hatred or the anger um, that is in their life. And this is kind of what he is, he is saying. Our sin makes us to distort and corrupt the truth about God. Sin, that's what it does. It distorts and corrupts the truth about God. So what we perceive, this is key here, what we perceive is based upon the biases that we have. Now, there is a guy named William James. He is the father of American psychology. And he wrote a book um, that was entitled The Will to Believe, or a paper. And in this, his, his basic premise was this. What we believe, the things that people believe, is determined by what they want to hear. Or people believe what they want to believe, is what he's saying. People believe what they want to believe. And, and Romans 1 has basically been saying this from the beginning of that, that, that because um, our ignorance of God gives us this hardness of hearts, it's actually the hardness of heart from people that, that makes us ignorant to the things, things of God because sin warps our minds. And it does it to the point where we're actually unable, naturally speaking, we're unable to understand the truth of God and its fullness. And so that's why then it goes to 11, the, end, uh, the last part of Romans chapter 3 of verse 11, it says, no one seeks God. There's no one that seeks God. Now, when I read that, I think, wait a minute, I'm, a, I'm someone, I think I seek God, and let's just take Christians out of that for a moment. Let's just not talk about Christians. Let's just talk about I, I, my Muslim friend. Um, I know that that Muslim friend, I know that he desires and sincerely seeks out truth. I mean, he prays religiously every day, five times. He bends down and turns towards Mecca. You're telling me, Paul, that, that this Muslim friend isn't seeking God? Is that what you're saying? Well, Paul is basically, yes, he's basically saying that very thing, that no one seeks God. Now, this is, this is important, though, what we have to understand, what he's not saying. Paul is not saying, Bill, your Muslim friend... Um, isn't seeking spiritual things. Bill, it's not that your Muslim friend isn't seeking a, a better way of life or some way to connect to the supernatural. What he is saying is that no one, no one is prompted by their own decision, their own decision and acting in their own ability to want God. It's not in a person's ability to want God, at least the true version of God. And that kind of like flies in the face of our thinking, but that's what Paul's saying here. People often seek God because they want some blessing from God. They, they seek God because they, they have this need to get something fixed or something filled or need some other kind of thing. But really what it comes down to here is that there's a difference between seeking spiritual things. There's a difference between seeking an idea of God because I want to get something from him versus seeking the one true God, true God of Scripture. And so, apart from God's grace, we flee from him even as we seek him. Apart from God's grace, we're fleeing from him even as we seek him. Now, this is what's really cool about this, because you're thinking, this doesn't sound very cool. This is pretty cool. If you have within you this desire to be present here this morning, you have a desire to gain or, or to seek after the Lord, what you need to understand is that desire is there because of God's wooing grace in your life. It's God drawing you. 
He may have used some circumstances. He may have used some hardship. He may have used some joys. But that's God wooing you, the God of all engaged with you. And we know this. This is a theme throughout all of the Bible. Jesus said it in John 6, 44. He says, no one comes to me unless the Father is the one who draws him or woos him or her. Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says the same thing, that you can't even recognize Jesus as Lord, who he really is, unless the Holy Spirit is the one that points that out to you. So apart from his special wooing grace, no one seeks God. No one apart from that. Verse 12 says this, all have turned away, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. Paul just keeps laying it on. You, you heard me read it earlier. He just keeps coming. All who, all who have turned away, all alike, they have become worthless. This is a quote from both Isaiah 53 as well as Psalm 53. Um, and basically, this is the, the essence of sin. We've all turned away from God's truth, and each of us has sought out our own way. Sought out our own way. So there is a central lie that is common to, to all, that kind of gets to the foundation of our sin nature. Um, this central, we'll, we'll call it basically, uh, one of the commentators called it cosmic treason. And it's just this, the lie in every heart of every teenager, every young adult, every empty nester, every, every CEO, every pastor, uh, every teacher, everybody. The, the central lie that is at the heart of uh, rebellion in a person's life is that I think my way is better than yours, God. My way better than your way. We might not say it in those words, but the way that life is lived, it's virtually that. My way is better than your way, God. This cosmic treason. Verse 12b, it says this, no one does good. No one. Again, it's no one. This is like, wait a minute. Like, am I, I'm, a, I'm a someone, so if he's saying no one, he's talking about me too, right? Um, no one does good. I think I do some good stuff. Uh, you know, again, you could be thinking the same as me. Like, well, surely that's an overstatement. He's just trying to make some generic point, right? No one does good. Well, what about, what about the firefighter who, who, yeah, he's not a Christian. He doesn't believe in God, but he, he runs into a building and he saves a child. But in, in his saving the child, that firefighter dies. You're telling me that's not something good? Is that what you're saying, Paul? What about the, the mom who sacrifices uh, everything for um, the betterment of her kids to get her single mom, get her kids out of poverty? You're saying that's not something good? Is that what you're saying, Paul? You're saying that nobody does good? Well, um, so aren't those good things? Well, in some ways, yes, they're good things. They're good things based on how we would define good things. But Scripture basically teaches um, a good thing is a good thing for two reasons. First off, first off, um, the, the Bible considers a good deed only a good deed if it's done in both pure form and motive. If, if it's pure in its form and it's pure in its motive. So if we, for example, do a good deed to try to build ourselves up or to try to feel, feel good about ourselves, if that's our good deed, well, that's technically, according to Scripture's definition, not a good deed. Um, anything that's done for a motivation to 
build myself up, and it's not done solely for the motivation of loving God and loving other people, technically not a good deed. It might look good on the surface, but not really good in, in, in God's eyes because it's to, it's to fill something in you. It's not to, to glorify God and to, to genuinely help other people out. I have two, um, two things on my plate right now where there's these two organizations that have pastor appreciation meals, and I'm not going to name what they are because I don't want to totally bash them, but um, this comes around regularly, and I'll get these requests. Sometimes it's a phone call, sometimes someone stops away at the office, sometimes it's an email, and the request is, Pastor, we just so appreciate you so much. We want to provide you a free appreciation meal, and so they'll invite me to a breakfast or a, a lunch, and, and um, I've been to enough of these to where now I avoid them, like the coronavirus. You know, I just avoid them. Um, and the reason why is because, forgive me, but I was in marketing and sales for a lot of years. I know um, what it means to try to, to try to get the decision maker to be your best buddy. And so they'll offer these meals and we'll sit down and we'll become best friends and, and um, they'll have all this fancy talk, but then it always kind of comes to the end of the conversation. And then they'll say, so I'd really like to come talk to your congregation about my cause. And so it's kind of like, Ugh. it's like, I just thought this is because you appreciated me and you recognized like the stress of my job and you just want to like, we love you. Here's your swag bag and go in peace. And well, no, the, the bottom line motivation I know is they want, they want to use me to get your ear to support their cause. Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's worthy, but a lot of times it's just kind of like, I just feel, that just makes me feel a little bit empty, that you're just trying to use me, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but that happens a lot of times, and, and that's kind of the idea here is most of the good things that are done, not all, most of the good things that are done are not really done with pure motives. They're done with some secondary or ulterior motive. It might look good on the surface, but underneath there's some, there's some other motivation. So that's, that's one way. The Bible really only considers a good deed a good deed if it's pure in both form and motive. Um, now, um, secondly, um, apart from faith, apart from faith, our good deeds are not really that good. Apart from faith, our good deeds are really not that good in light of our cosmic treason, in light of our biggest sin, in light of our rebellion against God. Our good deeds really aren't that good. And, and so, give another example of this. Let's just say there is a, a husband that is going to commit adultery on his wife. And he's driving, he's driving to the hotel to meet him. And this is what ends up happening. With this, what he does is he might go and he might say, he might say, you know, with this, I am going to, um, I'm going to um, go in and I'm going to make all this impact in my life. But, but what else? What happens? But he tips the bellhop a hundred bucks. It's like, that's a good deed, right? Like, that's a good thing. Like, I'm a good person. Like, that's kind of what happened. Well, well, Really? Is that what really happens? Well, what if, just for example, what if, what if our good deeds, in light of our cosmic treason, in light of the sin in our life, what if our cosmic deeds were just like that? What if, what if God saw, well, yeah, there's lots of little good deeds, but really, but really, what matters? What matters in the, in the, big, the big scheme of things? Um, what if going into a running building, in light of our cosmic treason, isn't quite the same? 
isn't quite the same thing. And so we have these kind of two different, we can think things are good, but are they really good? Are they really good in light of our cosmic treason? I don't think so. That's what Paul is saying basically here. Um, well, wait a minute. What about Oprah? Oprah says, you're a beautiful, special person. You're lovely. God loves you. I love you. You should love yourself. Well, that's true. We are. We're made in the image of God. Like that's, and we're all sinners. We, we all, in essence, have, have made those sinful choices. Um, and yet, apart from that image, we are tainted by sin. We're ruined by it. And so, with this all being said, um, we look here now at what Apostle Paul does as we jump to verses 13 and 14. He says this, because he wants to encourage them. He says this, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. They, their venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. It would be tempting, I think, at this point to be able to say, okay, well, finally, um, uh, he couldn't be talking about me in this. He's not talking about any of us in this. Um, but if we were really honest, if we were really honest with ourselves, the, the place our corruption most reveals itself, I think the place our corruption most reveals itself is probably in our words, right? It's probably in our words. Um, our words to ourselves or our words to other people. Jesus said this, he says, our words spoken in private are, are the best indicators of what's going on in our hearts. Like that's what's going on. So, um, Think about this. Just as a point of application, um, think about this. Just the last week, maybe the last day, let's just say just the last week. With the last week, um, if you were to do an inventory of the words that were spoken uh, in private or spoken to a best friend, um, would those words, would they, be, would they be filled with gossip and slander and, and anger and bitterness or boasting or a bunch of half-truths? Or would they be perfect and pure? perfect and pure? Probably not. Most oftentimes our words are the things that kind of reveal what's internal, the things that are kind of going on and pointing to the fact that we all have this, this hurt heart, this broken heart inside that um, Charles Purgeon, an old theologian, said it like this. He says, our words carry with them the stench of death. That's not sugarcoating it. Now look verses 15 through 17. Their feet, it says. Their feet are swift Swift to shed blood, ruin and wretchedness are in their path, and the path of peace they have not known. So, um, if you're like me, you're thinking at this point in time, okay, finally, one of these verses that doesn't apply to me. I mean, I've never been a part of a murder, right? I've never done that. Um, well, uh, the, the point here is that we all have this natural reaction. We all have this natural reaction to get violent, either physically or emotionally or mentally, um, when people get in the way of the things that we want. We all have that reaction. We tend to get violent. It may not be outwardly, but we tend to get violent when people get in the way of the things that we want. As long as we have what we want, we're peaceable. Um, but let someone else get what we want. Let them get the promotion that we want. Let them get the, the recognition that we want. Let them get the boyfriend that we want, the girlfriend that we want. Um, let their kids get the, the honor student sticker for the back of their car that we want. Unless that happens, we tend to not respond with excitement. That's just not tending to be the way that our, our, we trend. We tend to struggle with hating those people. Maybe not 
without a smile on our face, but that's kind of the tendency here, that there's this natural reaction within the heart of broken humanity to respond violently. That's kind of what he is saying. He's saying that people apart from faith, the people apart from um, God's wooing grace, his forgiveness, his inspiration, apart from this, they are swift to shed blood. There's, there, there's wit, wrecked, wretchedness and wickedness in their paths. They, and they, uh, the path of peace they have not known. The path of peace they have not known. Verse 18, moving through this. Verse 18 here, it says this. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God before their eyes. So pretty much this kind of sums up a lot of it. Basically, Paul's saying that we don't recognize God-sized goodness. We don't recognize God-sized importance in our life. That basically saying um, there's no fear of God in their eyes means that God and his authority are just simply not that big of a deal. They're just not that big of a deal to them. Our needs, our desires, our agendas, those are the things that mean a big deal to us. It's not what he's going after here. What dominates our thinking is what? Is it, is it what God wants? Is it God's ways? Or is it, this is what I want, this is what I'm going to get, this is so don't get in my way or I'm going to get violent with you. Verse 20, awesome verse, verse 20. Um, it's on the front of your bulletins too, but it says, for by for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Okay, this is, I know you're thinking I should have stayed home and used the coronavirus as a, an excuse not to be here today. Um, maybe you're not, I don't know. Uh, but with this, this is where this is so awesome. This is where Paul is getting to the point where he wants so bad for his, his Jewish readers to hear and he wants so bad for us to hear as well because these things don't, don't sit very well on us. But he's basically saying here that the purpose of the law, the purpose of their Bibles, the purpose of that was not to correct sin. The purpose was not to fix sin. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to reveal sin. It's to point it out. It's not to correct it, it's to point it out. It's to actually look and function like a mirror. That's kind of the idea of what our Bibles are, are, are supposed to do. They're to, to act like a mirror for us. So when it says in commandment nine, thou shall not lie, this shows me that um, I should love honestly, honesty so much that I'm never tempted to lie. And that's like kind of the goal. This is what it should show me. Like I should be so um, driven by being an honest person that I don't want to bend the truth to make myself look better. Or I don't want to bend the truth to get out of trouble because, because I, love, I love the truth and I would, I would not want to lie. Um, commandment 10 says, thou shall not covet. This shows me that I'm supposed to be satisfied with God alone. Like I shouldn't covet my neighbor's tractor. I shouldn't covet these things um, because I should be happy with what I have. Um, because what I have in God is by far greater than anything else that this world can give. Anything else that this world can give. Um, but when I read this, I think, Ugh, my heart just isn't naturally like that. Like, I'm just not naturally that guy. And I don't think you are that person either. Our, our hearts just aren't naturally inclined that way. But Paul's saying the knowledge of sin the fact that we have sin is pointed out to us because we have the scriptures. Another good example of this, I know Fletch had a broken, broken um, 
I think thumb here a few weeks ago. Yeah, oh, there you are. He broke his broke his thumb, right, Fletch? Yeah. Yes, okay, he broke his thumb. My daughter dismounted off a horse a number of years ago, broke her leg. We go, you know, we go to the hospitals, like the Harps had to go to the hospitals, and what do they do? You go in the hospital, you go into the ER, and they take an x-ray, right? They take this x-ray, and um, this x-ray shows that there's a brokenness that's there. And even though that x-ray costs a wicked amount of money, it doesn't do anything to fix the problem, does it? It just shows you there's a problem. That's what Paul is saying the scriptures do for us. It shows us, it points to, it reveals the problem. And the problem is me. The problem is sin. The problem is the brokenness of my, my heart condition. And this is, what's, this is what's key. And just forcing ourselves, which is so much of what people do, and I'm guilty of it as well, so much of what people do is they force themselves to act righteously, to do things and to try to do good things. Um, but the thing about it is nothing you can do to try to do it yourself will fix the heart condition. There's no physical task or righteous task that you can do that is going to fix anything. It's just covering up the problem. My son, it's great. He's been driving for a number of years now. One of the great things about having a son who drives and is in town a lot is he, he goes to some of the restaurants that I like too. And a lot of times um, he will bring home food for himself, but he puts it in the fridge and he's not there when I come home. There's no name on it. So I might indulge in this. And, and you know how this is, you know, um, this one particular time, I, I, and I, maybe he did this on purpose now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, so, so what he did, he put this, he put Ichi Teriyaki in, in, the, in the fridge. And, um, and with that, it, it kind of, when I came home and looked for it, it actually was in the back of the fridge. And so I, I'm thinking, I didn't remember seeing that yesterday or the day before, or the day before that. It's got to be good. So I pull it out and I look at it and it actually didn't look very good. Um, and it didn't smell all that great. But what's great about Ichi Teriyaki, at least the stuff my son brings home, is he brings home a couple extra packets of teriyaki sauce and you put that in the microwave and it gets all you know just flows just right smells good and you pour that over that oh chicken and noodles you, you know what i'm saying right you pour that that over there and and um heat it up and what didn't taste and smell very or look and smell very good a little bit ago now that it's got all that nice teriyaki sauce over it, oh boy it smells good until about 13 minutes later <laughs> and oh I don't know how long that had been in the back. It couldn't have been that long. My wife keeps our fridge pretty clean, or maybe they just tainted it on purpose to, to, to teach me a lesson. That's, but the idea here, the idea here is that the teriyaki sauce sweetened up the spoiled food. It sweetened up the spoiled food, and that's what the law is doing to many people. That's what scriptures are doing to many people. It sweetens up our behavior without changing our hearts. God created us to be, he created us to be so naturally righteous in our hearts that we would not need law to keep us right. We would instinctively do it. This goes back to Genesis, naked and unashamed in the garden. He creates man and woman, they're in the garden, they're naked and they're unashamed, right? They were created not to need the law. They were created not to need to sweeten things up, sweeten the spoiled food up with the teriyaki sauce. But here's the deal. You never have to tell me to do the things that I love to do. 
you never have to tell me to get on my motorcycle and go on a ride. It comes naturally to me. I happen to like it. You don't have to tell me to kiss my wife. I kind of like it. You don't have to tell me to do the things that I love to do. You don't have to tell me, because there's no law required. There's no law required to do the things in which I love to do. The law, the law is required, the law is required only when my heart wants to go in the wrong direction. That's what the law is for. It's when it wants to go in the wrong direction. The law is like that. It's like that. It helps out when I want to go in the wrong direction. So, um, wrapping up here, we're almost, we're almost done. But um, sin, and I know we're pounding on this because Paul does here, but sin, it's not so much, we can oftentimes always think of it as an action. It's something that we do. But, but it seems like Paul is pointing out this is, it's more of a condition than it is an action. It's not so much just an action, it's a condition. Paul, as he looks at this, um, this situation, it's, it's, it's a much bigger deal. The sin we do, the sin and action that we do, that's actually pointing to um, a condition of our heart. It's pointing to a, a broken heart, a sick heart. And so what he does here in chapter 3, he, he, he basically point, uses this to point out that our hearts are these open graves, like it says there. Our hearts are these open graves. They're filled with viper's venom. Their mouths, mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Um, and these are, these are symptoms of a sick heart. Um, for example, I know we're all thinking about the coronavirus and COVID-19. That's kind of on everybody's mind. But the, the reality is um, you're not infected... You're not sick because you show symptoms of the virus, right? You're not sick because of that. You show the symptoms because you're sick, eventually, after the incubation period. You show the symptoms after you're sick. You don't have the, the flu or the virus because you cough and sneeze and have a runny nose and a fever. You cough and you sneeze and you have a, a, a fever and a runny nose because you have the flu. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That's the point. We're not sinners because we sin. We're sinners because we sin because we're sinners. What we say with our mouths and what we do with our hands are simply a symptom of the rottenness that goes on in the human heart. Verse 21. Verse 21 says, But now, ah, but now the righteousness of God has been shown apart from the law, manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is the great news. This is the great news. That we clearly understand the bad news. That we're all tainted with the same sickness of, of a corrupt heart. It's from birth. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Um, but we're made righteous instead by the, the work of Christ, by putting faith in Christ, not by doing works of the law, not by making or giving any effort or any attempt. The good news is that it just requires faith in Christ. There was a great picture um, that, that um, Brandy put up for the youth group this last week on Instagram, and it basically was this little stick figure of a little boy. I should have put it on here. A little boy standing here, and he's got a, a heart. Or it was a stick figure. I don't know if it was a boy or a girl. Anyway, it's standing there with a heart, 
And, and Jesus is standing there, and the, the little kid says, this is all I got. And Jesus says, this is all I want. That's all I want. That's the, that's the point that Paul is, is, is focusing on here. Jesus said it in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, when he said, he's talking to religious people, and he says, you people that have tried so hard to follow all of the rules and to be right, and to you people who have ignored me your whole life, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me, and I will give you rest for your soul. Come unto me. That's what's required of us. It's faith in Christ. It's faith in Christ. That's, that's the goal of, of what we're going at. Is, that's why Paul says in, in, in chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed because it is the gospel for which is the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel. It's the free gift of God's grace through his son Jesus who was murdered on a cross, whose blood was shed for our transgressions, and because of that, our heart is cleansed. Because of that, our heart is cleansed. Um, great news. This is the great news. And it's for all. It's not just for the religious people or the irreligious people. It is for all. What great news it is to trust in Christ rather than trusting or trying to work our way somewhere. And, and the beauty is when the heart gets right, when the heart gets right, and it's nurtured and it's cared for and it's not fed f spiritual junk food. Uh, when that takes place, that's when we can use and see the scriptures as they point things out and they guide us and they encourage us in, in uh, godly living, sanctified living. We become more and more like Jesus as we remember more and more that we're all sinners in need of a savior, in need of forgiveness that we have to go about every day. And so with this, um, there's a couple different ways that you can take a message like this. One, if you've never given your heart to Christ before, if you've never trusted Jesus with your, with, with, um, your life, you never said, forgive me for the sin in which I have committed, and Lord, I want you to take over. I want you to take over the reins of my life. Um, that is one response to this, for those of you who have never done that. For those of you who have given your life, this is probably the vast majority of us in here. This is where it's beautiful that we learn, and I used the term last time, to learn to live in the land of repentance, to walk in the, the, the footsteps of repentance and saying, okay, Lord, again, I came to your word. Again, it showed me um, that I have slipped into, I've slipped into um, a heart sickness that you've already taken care of, but I'm trying to mess up again and, and forgive me for whatever that might be. Um, thank him again for what he's done. It's a great gift that we have. It's a great gift that we have um, uh, that's come through Christ and a gift that, um, uh, a gift that never ends, never goes away. Uh, I'll, I'll have the worship team come up. If you could all stand with me as I kind of close in prayer and I would love to talk with any of you um, or uh, if, you, if you have any questions about any of, any of what I've talked about today.